Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. A very good afternoon to you and welcome. It is Rabbi Michael Katz here with you for the next 45 minutes or so as we explore things Jewish in Judaism 101.9. Great to be with you. A little bit of a gloomy day today, I guess, uh, kind of fitting with the time that we're in now, known as the three weeks. Now, if we take a look at and think about all the commandments in the Torah, <coughs> you know, we often confuse ourselves a little bit with that big word called a mitzvah. What is a mitzvah? If you ask 90% of people around the world, I guess, um, what is a mitzvah? Um, we kind of will insert there that it's a good deed. I think the majority of people will call a mitzvah a good deed, good action, something good that we do. And of course, there are several mitzvot that are good deeds, and there are several good deeds that are mitzvot. But it's not nearly um, an accurate uh, translation, description of what a mitzvah actually is. We know that there are 613 commandments in the Torah, 248 positives, 365 negatives. And the fascinating thing about these mitzvot is that some of them are really good deeds, but some of them are no deeds at all. 365 of the commandments in Torah are things of abstaining, of keeping away from certain things. So when you do not eat pork, you have done that mitzvah. When you do not uh, kill anybody, God forbid, when you do not kidnap, when you do not steal, um, you are doing that mitzvah, those mitzvot as well. And there's no deed involved in that at all. And therefore, a mitzvah needs to be redefined. What is a mitzvah? A mitzvah is a commandment from the word tzav, tziva, the commandments of the Almighty. Hashem gives us 613 commandments, many of them positive ones, action ones, many of them negative ones, abstaining mitzvot. Now, fascinatingly, if we take a look at all these mitzvahs, all these mitzvot, 613 is a very big number. It's kind of daunting, sort of puts people off a little bit. There's so much to do in so little time. But when we think about all the mitzvot, it may just interest you to know that almost two-thirds of the mitzvot pertain to the temple, the times of the Beit HaMikdash. Now, for 830 years, the temple stood in Yerushalayim. It wasn't um, consecutive years. There, were, there was a, a destruction, as we know, in the middle. And so the one temple stood for 410 years, the other one for 420 years. It totaled 830 years, but there was a hiatus. There was a break in between after the destruction of the first temple by the Babylonians. We went into exile. There was a break until the second temple was actually back built and ready to function again. But total 830 years. And there were hundreds and hundreds of mitzvot that pertain to the temples. It was the most essential, the most important uh, place of connection between the world, between the earth and God, between heaven and earth, between the Jewish people and the Almighty. It was that point of connection that this temple represented. Two-thirds of our mitzvahs pertain to the temple. 
the sacrifices that needed to be brought, the offerings, the interactions there, the whole avoda, the service in the temple, and what happened on Yom Kippur, for instance, and then on the other Chagim, the other festivals, and so on. It was um, a kind of immeasurable place of interaction and uh, spiritual discourse between ourselves and the Almighty this interaction that could only take place and only took place in the Beit HaMikdash, in the temple, be it the first or the second Beit HaMikdash. Now, when that was destroyed a couple of thousand years ago, time of the destruction by the Romans of the second Beit HaMikdash or the second temple, we lost that. And therefore, it kind of needs to filter through into our minds just how great a loss this actually was for the Jewish people, just how great a loss it was for the world. We sometimes, I think, um, because of our distance from it and because we don't really feel or know that total um, interaction and what the Beit HaMikdash, what the temple actually represented to each and every one of us and what it should represent, we it's hard for us to fathom, it's hard for us to, to think about, but perhaps in this realm to understand that two-thirds of our mitzvahs, two-thirds of what we could do in order to interact with God, in order to be close to the Almighty, in order to uh, blend with, and remember that the word mitzvah actually comes from the word tzavta, which means connection, to connect in the most beautiful, profound, and important ways with the Almighty, two-thirds of that connection kind of was taken away from us with the destruction of the temple. It's daunting. It's huge. It's massive. And therefore, when we think about this period of time that we're in at the moment, as we build up to the culmination of the three weeks, these, this three-week period of mourning for the destruction of the temple, that's really what, it's really, uh, what, it, what it is all about, because it's during this three-week period that there was the siege around Yerushalayim, around Jerusalem, leading to the eventual destruction of the Bote Migdash of the temples, a, a practically 500 years apart um, on exactly the same day on Tisha B'Av, when we think about that, this period of time is so much more awesome, but also so much more empty in a way, because all of those matters of connection and all of that interaction and all of that spirituality and all of those mitzvahs and their ability to perform them um, was lost. What we're left with is um, the other things that, of course, we can and must do. And then how do we replace that in our lives? How do we take those things that are lost and how do we make them real in our own lives? Well, perhaps just a suggestion to think about is uh, very often when we're thinking about someone who we have lost, how do we keep them alive? How do we make sure that their memory stays with us. Well, first of all, we need to study their lives. We need to think about what they stood for. And then secondly, to try and do in some way what they would have done or what they did do and to live up to not only their expectations but actually the things that they left behind that they taught us, their modus operandi, their behaviors, their systems, what it was that they actually left for us to, to do as their descendants, as their followers, as their children, this is something that we can perhaps mirror 
and think about when it comes to the destruction of the Bote Migdash. We need to keep the temples alive. We need to continue that legacy. We need to make sure that in our lives the important space that the temple occupies and should occupy is still with us. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. As we mentioned, we're in this three-week period called Bain HaMetzarim. It is called Between the Straits or Between the Restrictions, Between the Difficulties. Of course, 17th of Tammuz, which was last Shabbos, going up to Tisha B'Av, which is in two and a half weeks' time. We have 21 days. It is known as the three weeks. And that three-week period extends from the 17th of Tammuz, as we said, till the 9th of Av, Shiva Asabatamuz to Tisha B'Av. And it's during this period of time that we have this period of semi-mourning. And what is well known, or what is perhaps better known and focused on a lot, is all the stuff that we cannot do during this time. What can we not do? We're not supposed to have weddings. Weddings do not take place. Now, why do weddings not take place? Is because a wedding is kind of the ultimate of a simcha, of a joyous occasion. There's singing, there's dancing, there's joy, there's happiness. But there's a hidden message behind that as well. And that is this was a period of time perhaps when there was discord, when people didn't see eye to eye, when people, as we're told, uh, one of the reasons for the destruction of the temples, there were many reasons cited, but one of them is that there was a lack of love, a lack of avas Yisrael, a lack of love for each other. Now, in a period of time when there's a lack of love, why would you enter into a marriage? It's kind of not the right sort of atmosphere. It's not a great time for people to be building families or thinking about that kind of um, building block of the Jewish people. It's a time when there's just people are apart. There is the difficulty of interpersonal relationships. Not the greatest time then to consider getting together and having and hoping to have harmonious, lovely, beautiful families and uh, marriages. And so therefore marriages are excluded from this period of time. We're not allowed to listen to music or to play musical instruments. Of course, if it's one's um, livelihood, um, there are permissions granted for that. But otherwise, just to uh, play your guitar or your piano and so on, or to listen to music and particularly, most particularly, any live music or in public entertainment, we don't do it this period of time. We also do not say the Shehechianu Brocha. The Brocha that says Shehechianu Vikiyamanu Vigiyanu Lazmanaze or Lizmanaze, the Brocha that we say um, when we thank God for sparing us and for enabling us to, to, to reach this great and momentous occasion, said, when we wear something new, said, when we have a brand new, brilliant and beautiful experience, said, when we eat a new fruit, for instance, or when we reach a high point in the Jewish calendar, we know that bracha shechianu well. <coughs> but during this period of time, we don't say the shechianu bracha, and therefore we also do not wear new clothing or eat fruit, which we haven't eaten, so that we're not required to say the bracha shechianu and wouldn't have that issue, that problem. We also do not take haircuts. We try and avoid shaving. Um, if you do that as a matter of course, we try and avoid it during this period of time. Haircuts, 
shaving, and so on. These are the outward signs of mourning. So that's all the stuff that we don't do. But what do we do? What should we do? What should we be involved in actively doing at this time? And perhaps we can take a message of what we should be doing when we think about the fact that all these things of mourning are actually suspended when it comes to Shabbat. On Shabbos, we suspend the mourning. And that's true, by the way, if people are actually, God forbid, in mourning, for instance, in the week of Shiva. The mourning is suspended. The outward signs are suspended. Now, why is that? Because Shabbat is what we call Ma'ein Olam Shabbat is called a taste of, a flavor of, a piece of the world to come. It's a messianic kind of a space in time. And it's during that time that we do Yes, of course, we don't uh, play musical instruments. And yes, of course, we don't uh, get up and have weddings and live music and so on. But we are entitled to celebrate Shabbat. And we eat and we drink and we are merry. And by the way, that would even apply, as it did this last week when the 17th of Tammuz occurs on Shabbat and the fast is deferred. And it will in a couple of weeks' time when we commemorate the date of Tisha B'Av that it actually falls out on Shabbat and it's moved off it is kept over for the next day and only commemorated on the day after Tisha B'Av, on the 10th of Av, when we will fast at the end of Shabbat and all day Sunday. Shabbat is an island in this period of time, and it's a beautiful oasis of happiness, of joy, of simcha. And during that time, we do a whole lot of positive things, even as a matter of course in a period of time, a period of mourning, and even when it is Tisha B'Av, and even when it was the 17th of Tammuz. Now, there is something within that that we could live our lives thinking of everything in a mundane and a physical fashion, or we could live them thinking about them in a Shabbat, in a holy kind of a fashion. Are we looking at the proverbial glass half empty or half full? Are we looking just at the period of time of sadness and mourning and the things we're not allowed to do? Or are we thinking about all the wonderful things that we are allowed to do? And the things that we can do is that we can fight off and stave off the sadness and the mourning and the melancholy and the darkness that perhaps sometimes invades and takes over our lives by bringing light, by bringing simcha, by bringing joy into our lives. And yes, the opportunities are limited because you might say, well, we can't have music and we can't um, have weddings and so on. So our simcha is limited, but we can increase in simcha in different ways. And one of the most important ways of increasing a Jew's simcha is in learning Torah, in studying the depths of our beautiful Torah. It brings joy to one's heart. It brings joy to one's soul. It elevates us. It elevates ourselves in every possible fashion that you can imagine and then some. And in this way, we can increase in joy. And so there are many who have uh, given us the beautiful uh, message that during this period of time, it would be wonderful if not only do we learn Torah, but we could make siyumim. We could make um, tractate endings, which obviate which instruct us that we should have simchas we should have joyous occasions to celebrate and we should celebrate those siyumim those conclusion of uh, tractates and so on that should happen during this period of time it's an easy way to bring simcha into our lives but we don't have to go that far 
It doesn't have to be that we're actually concluding a tractate in Talmud. It can be studying anything. It does something for us. It elevates us. And by the same token, the performance of other mitzvot. So let's not only focus on the two-thirds of the mitzvot that we cannot do because we do not have a temple, but let's focus on the ones that we can. And let's make sure that we do them just a little bit better, perhaps, than we ever did them before. Whether it is our keeping of our dietary laws, whether it is our um, educating our children, whether it is our giving of charity, whether it is our uh, acts of goodness, acts of kindness that we are all the time meant to be showing to each and every individual with whom we come into contact, all of those things and all the other mitzvahs that we know that we can do, our prayer services, our davening, our communal gatherings for prayer and for praising God, and so on, all of these things should be done with a renewed vigor and with an added emphasis and with just a little bit more strength and a little bit more light and a little bit more joy during this period of time. Um, Yes, we may not be getting up and dancing on the tables, and we may not be having that kind of celebration, but surely we should integrate a little bit better into our lives what true Jewish joy, happiness, simcha, is really all about. And in such a way, we can reach a kind of a Shabbat mode, even during the weekdays, we can reach a kind of a post-Mashiach mode, a messianic mode, even though we're still here in the Gola, we're still in the diaspora, we're still in a period of time before Mashiach has come, and we hope and pray that he does come very, very soon, but it will come about, hopefully, through our action and our involvement and our perseverance and our understanding that we can create that light, that we can create that joy, that we can uplift not only ourselves, but um, all those around us as well. And in such a way we're told, (coughs) and we contemplate and think about, the fact that we can also bring about the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash, the rebuilding of the temple, through love. If the temple was destroyed because of hate, well, how about a little bit more love that we show to other people? If the temple was destroyed because of immoral behavior, how about we turn ourselves around and make sure that everything that we do is much more moral, that we're doing things in a much more ethical and proper and finer and better way. And if we continue doing all of those things in this fashion, we have no doubt that each and every one of us will have the opportunity to be putting um, the building blocks together of the Beit HaMikdash, of the Temple, every step of the way, every moment as we go along. And so hopefully, very, very soon, we will be able to realize the simcha, the joy, the happiness, the positivity, the energy that we can instill into this world, that we can instill into our lives, and that we can instill into our community, into our country, and into the world around us to change the darkness into light, to make sure that the temple is rebuilt, and that we can actually perform, fulfill, and do all the 613 mitzvot of the Torah that we mentioned before. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. One of the lesser spoken features of the three weeks actually occurs each Shabbat of the three weeks. On each Shabbat of the three weeks, 
um, from this coming Shabbat because the last one kind of fell out just before the onset of the three weeks, even though it was the 17th of Tammuz. But in the three weeks that follow, and this one being the first one, we read three special Haftorahs. A Haftorah, the additional reading that is done after the Torah reading on Shabbat, which is taken from the prophets, um, there are three which are known as the Tlas de Puranusa, the three of affliction, three kind of negative or admonishing Haftorahs, three pieces of Torah literature of Tanakh that are uh, prophetic but uh, profoundly difficult for us actually, um, each one of them with a bit of a harsh message to the Jewish people. And the first one comes up this week, and it's called Divrei Yirmiyahu. It is headed the words of Jeremiah. Now in this one coming up this week, these um, the first of the three prophecies of destruction, of admonishment, of affliction, um, this first one, Divrei Yirmiyahu, talks about the prophecy that was given to Jeremiah, or Jeremiah talking about how God appointed him, first of all, as a prophet. And then he describes two visions that he was shown. The first featured an almond tree branch. And God explains to Jeremiah that just like an almond tree is very quick to blossom, God will carry out his plan to punish those who have sinned in due haste. So we have this image of the blossoming of the almond tree. The second vision was that of a boiling pot whose foam was directed northward. God explained that this was an allusion to the afflictions that the Jewish people would suffer at the hands of the people from the north of the Holy Land, in other words, from Babylon. Hashem says that he'll cause the kingdoms of the north to lay siege to Yerushalayim and he will pass judgment on the Jewish people because of their abandonment of God's ways and their idol worship. So it contains these really harsh images. It ends off on a bit of a higher note where it says, go and call out in the ears of Jerusalem saying, so said God, I remember to you the loving kindness of your youth, the love of your nuptials. You're uh, following me in the desert, in a land not sown. Israel is holy to God, the first of his grain. All who eat him shall be guilty. Evil shall before them, says God. Now, when we think about these prophecies, there is a beautiful, positive, I guess, hidden message as well. We've got to think about this image of the blossoming of the almonds in order perhaps to tap into it um, in the fullest sense of the word. Why is the almond chosen here is because the almond we're told from the time of blossom till the time that the fruit um, appears on the tree is very quick. It happens quicker than most fruits and in fact we're told that it takes 21 days. Well you start seeing a little bit of synchronicity here. The three weeks, the 21 days, um, it's as quick as that and so we're kind of um, needing to focus on the fact that while this is a prophecy of doom and gloom and destruction and difficulty, at the same time within it, there's the answer of the joy, of the simcha, of the happiness that will come thereafter. What do you prefer, the blossom of the almond tree or the fruit um, that you can eat, the nuts that one can enjoy and that have a uh, practical uh, benefit to each and every one of us um, when we eat from them. 
There is something to be said for the beauty of gazing at the blossoms, but there's something more to be said. It's something that can sustain us. And when we think about the whole idea of this three-week period, it is just that as well. It is a time of reflection. It's a time of introspection. It's a time when we think back to what we have lost, but at the same time to think about how, can, how we can regain, how we can rebuild, how we can bring that proverbial light into the darkness, and how we can change the world one blossom at a time and one almond at a time, one fruit at a time. I don't want you to say one nut at a time, but how we can actually um, improve and fix and mend and put everything back together again and be part of the rebuilding process that we are supposed to be focusing on at this time. As is often mentioned, we refer to this period of time not as the 21 days, as one would think mentioned in this prophecy of the almond blossom to fruit, but we talk about it as the three weeks, the three weeks being a direct reference to the fact that there would be two temples that would be destroyed, but the third one that God himself will allow to descend will give us from on high and that will come to rest in Yerushalayim on the Temple Mount, that that temple, the third Beit HaMikdash, that third temple, will be the ultimate temple that will be the temple of Mashiach, the temple of the future, and the ability to return to the glory days of the Jewish people once again with its immediate arrival. And so therefore the idea of the number three, of the three weeks, while it is all about doom, gloom, sadness, mourning, etc., it is really mainly about how do we rebuild, how do we fix, how do we bring light, how do we recreate joy, how do we reinvent the happiness that we have lost. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. One of the things that we should particularly focus on during this period of time, during these three weeks, is the Torah study and giving of charity, as we mentioned before, but really based on the verse that is quoted from Isaiah, where it says that Zion shall be redeemed by law and her returnees by charity. Particularly during this period of time, we should study and think about the, uh, the law that we need to study and what law is that and what about the charity? Well, when we think about it, the prophet Yechezkel, um was uh, told by God to instruct the exiled Jewish people about the measurements and design of the third holy temple. And master of the world, he replied, why are you telling me to go and tell Israel the form of the house? They're now in exile in the land of our enemies. Is there anything they can do about it? Let them be until they return from the exile. Then I'll go and inform them. And God answered, should the construction of my house be ignored because my children are in exile? The study of the design of the holy temple as detailed in the Torah can be equated to its actual construction. And so go tell them to study the form of the holy temple as a reward for their study and their occupation with it. I'll consider it as if they've actually built the holy temple. So now in our generation, in our time, as we stand here on the threshold of the gula, of the redemption, we need to study the laws of the Beit HaMikdash, study the laws of the temple, that we can visualize what it was that we are missing, that we can understand what it is that we're going to gain, that we will know and we will be able to think about 
how it is that we can play a part in the redemption, that we can play a part in the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash, and that we can play a part in f- healing this otherwise fractured, dark, and difficult world. So we look forward to being back with you same time, same place next week on another exciting episode of Judaism 101.9. I want to wish you a great rest of the week. I want to wish you a great Shabbat up ahead. And please, God, during this period of time, these three weeks, we will be able to actually transform and change this period of mourning into a time of actual mourning, as in the uh, waking up of the world, the growth of a brand new and beautiful day, which we look forward to coming immediately, if not right now. Take care. See you soon.